Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church, a campus of Mount Perrin North. We exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, and we hope that you are encouraged by today's message. I heard a story of a little girl who was saying her goodnight prayers, and uh, she was sitting on the edge of the bed with her mother, and she was praying her normal, cute, precious little girl prayers of thank you, Lord, for this and that, thank you for my mommy, my daddy, for the dog, for the turtles, and all that stuff. And then at the end of her prayer, in the loudest, loudest voice she could pray, she said, and God, tomorrow is my birthday, and I pray I get a bicycle, in Jesus' name, amen. And her mother said, sweetheart, great prayer, but you don't have to yell at God, he can hear you. She said, oh, I, I know, mommy, but grandma's in the next room, and she doesn't hear so well. <laughs> Think about it. There's all kind of prayers we can pray, and there's all kind of situations we can be in that will determine the type of prayers that we pray. But what do you pray when you're in the belly of a whale? Now, no one in here can relate to that, but we know one guy who can, and his name is Jonah. And we began a series on Jonah last week, looking at that story of the Old Testament. And if we could sum up the story of Jonah, it's really basically this, that God pursues us. God comes after us. God leaves no stone unturned to reach to where we are to get us in relationship with him. You see, God doesn't want any kind of sin or wickedness or evil to wreck or ruin our lives and to separate us from him. He wants an eternal love relationship with us, so he comes after us with everything that he is and has. And see, that's where we leave Jonah last week in chapter 1. He's in the belly of the whale because he's running from God, and God is coming after him. So let's really recap the story real quick to pick us up to where we are. In chapter 1, we see that Jonah is a prophet. God comes to Jonah, and he says, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh, and I want you to preach against them because I see their wickedness and their evil. Now, Nineveh was known for its atrocities and its, its uh, brutality and its high immorality and wickedness, and it was about 500 miles east of Israel, and Jonah says, I, I'm not going to go there, because he knew, even if he went and preached the judgment of God to this city, that if they repented and turned to God, that God would forgive them. He knew that his compassion and mercy was so great, God would forgive them, and Jonah says, I don't want them to be forgiven. I don't think they should be. They're enemies of Israel, and so he's not going to follow God, and instead of going east 500 miles, he heads west goes down to a little city of Joppa right on the west coast of Israel, gets on a boat, and is headed to Tarshish, Spain, which is about 2,500 miles west of Israel. So God said, go 500 miles east. Jonah heads 2,500 miles west. He's going about 3,000 miles away from where God wanted him to be. And we learn from this story and our own experience, it doesn't matter how much distance we create between us and God. God knows exactly where we are. God knows how to come after us and where to find us. And we look in the story, and Jonah's on this boat, and God sends a storm. He sends a storm on the Mediterranean Sea to get Jonah to turn back to him. And that boat is literally almost coming apart, and the crew is doing everything they can, holding on for dear life. They're throwing cargo over the side to lighten the boat. And Jonah, meanwhile, is asleep in the bottom of the boat. Let that be a lesson to every one of us. Let's don't buy into the lie that our sin and disobedience does not affect the lives of other people. You see, the enemy will try to deceive us and say, hey, go ahead and do that. It's only going to affect you. You can handle it. No, that's a lie. Our sin impacts the lives of the people around us. 
So these crew members are trying to figure out what's going on. They realize Jonah is the problem. And they say to Jonah, you're running from God. What are we going to do with you? Jonah says, throw me overboard. Because Jonah thinks, I'll die. It'll solve everybody's problem. But God's not going to let Jonah off that easy. He plunges into the water, and it says that God commanded or appointed a great fish. We don't know if it's a whale or not. I'm going to call it a whale from here on out. We know it's large enough to swallow a, a, a grown man. And he sends this whale to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah's in the belly of the whale three nights and three days. How miserable would that be? I mean, think about it a moment. If you're claustrophobic, if you don't like the smell of rotten fish, if you don't like to be wet, if you're scared of the darkness, then don't think about the idea of what it would be like to be in, a belly, in, the, in, the, in the belly of a whale for three days and three nights. And in this place, Jonah prays. Now, I may not be able to relate to the idea of being in a whale and praying to God, but I can relate to the idea of when I'm in pressure and I'm in chaos and I'm in stress and strain because of my own doing. You see, Jonah's in the well, and he's the one that created the mess that he's in. And I know nobody in here can relate to creating their own mess. I get that. But we all know what it's like to find ourselves in a place where, man, I'm in this situation because of me. How do I get it? How do I talk to God in the mess that I've made? And that's what we see in chapter 2 of Jonah, which is this prayer that Jonah prays while he's in the well. And it's interesting, when you look at this prayer, this prayer basically shows who God is and who we are. And when I find myself in those places of my own life where I've created the mess and I'm feeling that pressure and I'm feeling that stress, oftentimes when I'm at that place, I begin to realize who God is and who I am, what he wants to do, and what I need from him. And that's what Jonah shows us, how to talk to God in the mess we've made. And beginning in verse 1 of chapter 2, this prayer Here's what we see. From, the, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. So in talking to God in the mess we've made, God answers, we call. Say that with me. God answers, we call. Look what Jonah says. He says, I cried out to you, you heard me. I called to you, and you answered me. The main thing that says to me right there is, thank God that there's no amount of mess that I can make in my life that God isn't right there to respond to me. There's no amount of mess that keeps me so separated from God, he can't get to me. God comes to us in no matter how great of a mess we've made in our lives. He is there with the answer that you and I need. The deal is, I got to call out to him. I got I to gotta turn to him. See, he's there with the answer, but am I calling out to him? And if we got real honest with ourselves, that's not something we like to do. Because, you see, to call out to God in need says I've got to admit my weakness. I don't like admitting that I'm weak. I don't like showing vulnerability. I don't like admitting that I'm wrong. We all in our fallen human natures have this stubborn, self-sufficient way that we want to live. I believe I can live and do this on my own. Here's the problem. 
The mess I've made is the result of me trying to live on my own. And you and I weren't created to live on our own. We were created to live in a love relationship of dependency upon God. And I've got to come to a place in my life, especially if I'm in the mess that I've made. And I've got to say, I need the God of life to be the God of my life. I need the maker of everything to be the maker of my life. I got to come to a place where I swallow my pride and in humility say, I need God. God answers. We call. But then Jonah continues in the prayer. And in verse 3, it says this. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Talking to God in the mess we've made. Secondly, God disciplines, we repent. Say that with me. God disciplines, we repent. Listen to what Jonah said here. He said, your waves break over me. Your waters are swirling around me. You tossed me into the sea. We know it was the sailors that threw them into the sea, him, him into the sea. We know it's the sea, the waters of the sea that are coming over him. But Jonah recognizes this is God's doing. God is the one that's bringing disciplining judgment into Jonah's life because of his disobedience to God. He's disciplining us all for the purpose to turn Jonah back to him. And what does Jonah do? Jonah says, although you have banished me from your sight, I will turn to your temple. I will look to your temple. Now, the temple he's referring to is the temple in Jerusalem. And the temple was the very heart of the Jewish faith. They considered the temple to be the place where God's presence abided the most. And to run away from the temple is the idea of running from God. To turn back is the idea of turning back to the presence of God. And here we see Jonah's repentance, if you will. You see, repent means I'm going this way, but by an act of my will, I am choosing now to turn and go back the other way. It's a rethinking. It's a changing of my mindset. It's a changing of the course of my life. And with the help of God, I'm going to turn towards him. And that's what we see. God disciplines us to get us to turn back to him. Here's the bottom line, folks. God loves us enough to make our lives miserable. He loves us enough to make our lives miserable. If we've got loving parents in the room, and I believe we've got a lot of them, if you see your children heading in a course of life, a course of behavior, a course of thinking and attitude, that you know if they continue that way, it is going to ruin their life. It's going to bring tremendous harm. Loving parents will make their children miserable to get them to turn back. Do I have an amen in the house? Amen. See, enabling parents that just help kids continue to go that path, that's not love. That's abuse. God's not an abuser. God loves us enough to make us miserable. So that we will turn back to him. Because in him is the place of life, the place of forgiveness. That's the place that we're created for. To turn back to him. You see, repentance is the idea that I'm not going to rationalize anymore of where I am. I'm not going to justify 
how I've gotten to where I am in my mess. I'm not going to blame other people for my mess. You see, Jonah could have blamed the sailors. Oh, they're the ones that threw me in here. This is why I'm in this mess. It's all their fault and justified while he was there. No. He said, God, I know you're the one doing this. See, repentance, I take responsibility for my life. I take ownership of where I am. It's saying, God, you're right. I'm wrong. Please forgive me. My granddaughter, Kennedy, is for your, my wife is sitting right here. And anytime I call my children or my grandchildren mine, she gets mad at me. Our granddaughter, Kennedy, our granddaughter, Kennedy, is four years old. But, I mean, when she was just barely able to walk and talk, her mother, Amanda, my daughter, our daughter-in-law, because i got to go home with her, so, comes walking into Kennedy's room. There Kennedy stands, magic marker in hand, right beside the wall in her room, the same color of magic marker, all marked on the wall. Amanda walks in, catches her red-handed. Now, Kennedy has a friend named Pema. They play together a lot, and Pema would come to her house some. She goes to Pema's house. Pema hadn't been to their house in a week. There Kennedy stands, marker in hand, marker on the wall, right beside the wall. Amanda comes in and says, Kennedy Elizabeth, what are you doing? You know the first words out of that girl's mouth? Pema did it. She hasn't been there in a week. This girl can barely talk. But that shows you in every one of us how early in our lives we blame others. We can't admit wrong. See, that's our fallen nature. That's the fallen nature of our sin. See, repentance is coming to a place. Now, this may be tough for some of us to hear. But God loves you enough to make you miserable. So do I. I got to come to a place where I stop saying it's so-and-so's fault for my unforgiveness, for my bitterness, for my resentment, for my hatred, for my anger, for my prejudice. There may have been some people that have contributed to that, but I've made the choice to stay in it. Repentance is saying, no more Pimas that I'm going to blame. God, you're right. I'm wrong. Please forgive me. God disciplines. We repent. But Jonah continues. And in his prayer, in verse 5, he says, The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I guess it was wrapped around his head. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. And talking to God in the mess we made, God delivers, we praise. Say that with me. God delivers, we praise. I mean, God answers, we call. God disciplines, we repent. God delivers, we praise. I mean, listen to Jonah. Jonah is describing in very poetic style. Man, he is going into the depths of the sea. He is going down to where the roots of the mountains are. He is getting deep 
He even refers to it as a pit. The, 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 the seaweeds around my head, the waters are, are, are drinking my life. I mean, I am going down to the very depths. And then what does he say? God, deliver me. God brought me out of the pit. He raised me back up. He's saying, God has delivered me. And because he has delivered me, what does he say? I will shout with grateful praise. See, you and I do not delete, de de deserve the deliverance of God. What did Jonah do to de deserve the deliverance of God? He didn't deserve it at all. I mean, he's in the belly of a will. He has created all this mess. He has made it very inconvenient for God to get the job done that God wants done. And he's done nothing to change any of that except simply repent. Simply turn and say, you're right. I'm going to line with you. And man, God delivers him out of the pit. Listen, God gives us what you and I do not deserve. So let's give him what he does deserve. And that is a life of grateful praise. That's what God deserves. A life of grateful praise. You see, when we come in here and worship, we've done it all morning. That's, that, that comes out of mouths that are grateful for what God has done that we didn't deserve. We sung about it all morning, how he has freed us, how he has delivered us. Pastor Jeremy, in, in going into tickets into prayer, looking at that 2 Corinthians passage, talked about the freedom that we can have. See, you and I don't have to live in the pit of life. We weren't made for the pit of life. We were made for the, for the highways of life. We were made for the high places of life. You and I don't have to live life out of the pit of a bottle. We don't have to live life out of the pit of addiction. We don't have to live life out of the pit of the guilt of sin and wrongdoing that's been done to us or that we have done. We have a God who will step into the very depths of our mess and raise us up into new life. And for that, my life will forever be grateful praise unto him. There's a man by the name of Boyd Bailey. He's a, a blogger. He's a life coach, a motivational speaker, an author. He has a website he's developed called Wisdom Hunters. It's a website where he blogs a lot of different devotionals. They're quite good. I've, I've read several of his, and I came across this one. It talks about this idea of what motivates our praise to God. He says this. He says, our gratitude toward God keeps his greater forgiveness at the forefront of our faith. Let that sink in a moment. This is what he says. Our gratitude toward God keeps his greater forgiveness at the forefront of our faith. In other words, what he's saying is, the more we are very much aware of our undeserving forgiveness from God, the more that that sparks within us this desire to give him grateful praise. And the more we give him grateful praise, the more we're very much aware of what God has done for us in our lives. Because Boyd goes on to say this, those who become too familiar with their faith can forget the generous grace of God. One sin condemns us to hell, but one act of faith in Jesus delivers us to heaven now and forever. Glory to God, whether it's our extravagant sins or our modest sins, we are forgiven by the lavish love of the Lord. And forgiveness that, and forgiveness that is fresh on the mind thinks of ways to show love and appreciation. Gratitude to God is unashamed to show love for God. 
kind of life are we living? Are our lives motivated by the amazing deliverance of God to such an extent that our lives are all about honoring Him as grateful praise unto Him? You know, it's interesting to me. Jonah would not go to Nineveh because he didn't want them to experience the compassion of God. Yet here Jonah is in the belly of a whale throwing himself on the compassion of God. It's good for me. It's not good for them. I know no one in here ever thinks that way at all. See, grateful praise to God says, God, I, I recognize I don't deserve anything you've given me. That comes with the compassion, mercy, and grace that only you can extend. And so, God, in an act of grateful praise to you, may my life be about extending that compassion, grace, and mercy to those I come in contact with. I believe that's a major thing God's trying to show Jonah in this. You want my compassion, it's yours. But don't, don't hold it back from others that need it like Nineveh. God delivers, we pray. And the last part of Jonah's prayer, in verse 9. But with shouts of grateful praise, I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah on the dry land. I don't know what's worse, getting swallowed by the whale or vomited out by the whale. That's kind of nasty. The last part of Jonah's prayer God saves We serve Say that with me God saves We serve Now track this with me I want you to see this Track this with me God answers We call God disciplines We repent God delivers We praise God saves We serve Do you see this? God initiates it all towards us It's God coming after us. It's not us trying to get God to move. God has moved. He's moved in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has come after us already. It's a matter of us simply responding to God's love that he has initiated towards us already. Jonah says, salvation is from you, God. I will make that declaration. And the vows I've made, I will carry out. You have saved, so God, I will serve. See, I don't serve God. I don't try to do the good things for God. I don't try to serve within the church body that I'm at. I don't try to be a good person for God to get God to save me, to get God to deliver me, to get God to do anything good towards me. God has done that towards me. And in response to his salvation, I will serve him. It's all gratitude. It's all thanksgiving. Man, I will serve you. I want every area of my life under your lordship, oh God, because you have saved my life. That God, I want your will and your way for my marriage. Not the way the culture defines it, the way you define it. I want your will and your way for my family, God. Not the way culture defines family, the way you do. I want your will and your way, God, in my finances. Not the way the culture says about finances. What do you say? 
I want your will and your way about how to do work, how to, how to run a, 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 a business, how to be an employer and employee. Not the way the culture says, the way you say. What is your work ethic for me? God, that's what I want. Every area of my life, God, I want your will and your way. Now, that's a lifetime pursuit, ladies and gentlemen. But God's salvation is about my entire life. And I want my entire life to serve him. And what, every area, what any area of my life that I know right now, I'm running. I'm pulling a Jonah. He's saying, I want this part of your life. I want it to be this way. I don't know that I want to give you that. I don't know what I want to be that. And I'm pulling a Jonah. God will reach into that area of our lives and he will make it miserable until we turn. Because we, he knows if we continue in this area of our lives the way we are going, it will ultimately bring ruin into that area. He would rather spank me now than have to bury me in an eternal grave without him. That's how much he loves us. And I guess the beautiful thing of all this for me No matter how great the mess, God is there. Leonard Sweet, in a book entitled Soul Salsa that he wrote, tells this story that captures that major truth of God. He says this, one tribe of Native Americans had a unique practice for training young braves. On the night of a boy's 13th birthday, he was placed in a dense forest to spend the entire night alone. Until then, he had never been away from the security of his family and tribe. But on this night, he was blindfolded and taken miles away. When he took off the blindfold, he was in the middle of thick woods, by himself, all night long. Every time a twig snapped, he probably visualized a wild animal ready to pounce. Every time an animal howled, he imagined a wolf leaping out of the darkness. Every time the wind blew, he wondered what more sinister sound it masked. No doubt it was a terrifying night for many. After what seemed like an eternity, the first rays of sunlight entered the interior of the forest. Looking around, the boy saw flowers, trees, and the outline of the path. Then to his utter astonishment, he beheld the figure of a man standing just a few feet away, armed with a bow and arrow. It was the boy's father. He had been there all night long. No matter how dark our mess, no matter how much brokenness might be in our lives that we may have created, how much fear or worry or anxiety that's been the result of our decisions, God, He answers, he disciplines, he delivers, he saves. The question is, are we going to call, repent, praise, and serve? Talking to God and the mess we make. Some of us in here, we know there's some areas God's trying to work on, and we're, we're maybe pulling a Jonah. 
And maybe today's the day to kind of get that right with him. Some of us, maybe we've never really given our lives to him. We've never really made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. And maybe today is the day for you to do that. To say, I'm going to repent. God, you're right, I'm wrong. I'm a sinner, I need forgiveness. Be my Savior and lead my life. I invite you to be able to make that decision here today. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father God, I come to you right now. I pray for those of us in the room that have a relationship with you through Jesus Christ and we're secure in that, yet we know there are some areas you've been speaking to us, you've been working in us. And if we got real honest, we're just kind of in rebellion there. Maybe there's some fear if we make changes, what might happen or whatever the reason, but we're pulling a Jonah you love us enough to make us miserable and you brought us to this place today to repent and turn that over to you and get that right with you. I pray there are people in the room doing that right now. That they're allowing you to be the God of their lives, the God of those places. And now, Father, I pray for those in this room that, wow, they've never made a decision to follow your son, Jesus but they want to do that right now. I pray that as they pray, it becomes a living reality in their lives. Now, I'm going to invite everybody to say this prayer after me, especially those that are saying, man, I, I'm making a decision to follow Christ today. But everybody praying this prayer out loud with me, please. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross for me, that I might be forgiven of my sins who has raised from the dead that I might have eternal life. I confess I'm a sinner. I need you as my Savior. Be my Savior and forgive my sins. I give you my life. Be my Lord. Lead me and guide me. My life belongs to you. I thank you for the forgiveness of sins. I thank you for eternal life. I believe right now I'm your child forever. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, those that have prayed that prayer, they are feeling right now the sense of peace that only you can give for forgiveness of sin. They are feeling a sense of belonging. They feel themselves coming out of whatever pit they might feel that they were in. I pray for the taste of salvation that they're sensing right now to stay with them, God. I pray now that our lives truly do belong to you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thanks again for listening today. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.com.